Well, this is the first time that I am preaching a sermon without doing any study. I didn't read any commentaries. I didn't do any Google searches or read any books related to the topic. I decided to do that because I recently came across a quote from Francois Fenelon, who was a French priest in the 1600s. And he warned in this quote, if we are not careful, the acquisition of knowledge will so occupy this life that we shall need another to put our acquired knowledge into practice. Well, that statement kind of hit me. It convicted me. It stuck with me because those are words that I need to pay attention to because I love to acquire knowledge. If you're familiar with the Strength Finders assessment, you may know that learner is one of the 34 strengths that a person might have. And it's one of my top strengths. I love to learn. I'm good at learning. I am fascinated by learning about the scripture, understanding the words that are used, uh, digging into the context. And I believe that learning has really helped me to grow as a Christian. Jesus says we don't just love God with our heart. We love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't know about you, but I've had moments of worship when I am studying the scripture and I see a new connection or a new aspect or facet of who God is. And I feel like the beautiful gem of scripture just becomes even more beautiful for me. Learning helps me to grow as a disciple of Jesus. And all of that energy that I pour into learning new things can be a distraction from putting what I've already learned into practice. And I think that I'm not the only one who struggles with that because we can get so focused on knowing about Jesus that we can lose focus on becoming like Jesus. So I didn't go looking for any new information as I worked on this sermon. And it seemed to me that two weeks before Christmas might be the perfect time to press pause on learning. My guess is that many of you may feel like your brain is full enough right now, full of gift lists and guest lists and to-do lists, full of schedules, full of anxieties maybe. Your brain may be so full that you might be having trouble sleeping at night. And so perhaps this morning would be more helpful for us to connect with God with our hearts rather than with our heads. Almost a year ago, I was talking with my son-in-law, Ben, about preaching, and I was telling him about how I prepare a sermon, how I dig into the text, how I try to find deeper meaning that I can share with the congregation, how much I enjoy doing that, and how I feel like the congregation responds well to it. And Ben seemed surprised by my statement. His response struck me as something very wise. He said to me, he thinks that we all need to be regularly reminded of what we already know. So he comes to worship, not expecting to learn something new, but expecting to be inspired and encouraged to hold on to that which he already knows is true. And I think Ben's onto something. 
We all need to be regularly reminded of what we already know because most of us are better at acquiring knowledge than we are at putting it into practice. And in some ways, I think that's because, well, it's because it's easier. It is easier for me to teach you something about this scripture passage than it is for me to live it out or even to challenge you to live it out. It would have been easier to read commentaries that I keep on my bookshelf, to Google the passage and see what Tim Keller or Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle or Joby Martin may have to say about this passage. It would have taken less time and it would have been more comfortable because I feel safe when I quote someone who is considered an expert. Someone like Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright, Tim Mackey. All of those people are brilliant experts who understand scripture much better than I do. But I had to wonder, do I need to know more about this story? Or do I need to put it into practice? If you've taken Disciples Journey, either step two or step three in the last year, you've heard Pastor Matt teach about discipleship tensions. And one of the tensions that he describes is the tension between belief and behavior. One of the key questions that we need to ask ourselves as disciples of Jesus relates to this tension. As I seek to become more like Jesus, do I need to learn more so that my belief will be stronger or do I need to put what I already know into practice so that my behavior will be more like that of Jesus? How would you answer that question? Some of us really do need to learn more. For some of us, this story in Matthew's gospel is a bit unfamiliar because most of us are much more familiar with Luke's version of the Christmas story, the version with the manger and the shepherds and the angels singing glory to God in the highest. And there's none of that in the version that Matthew writes that I read at the beginning. All we have in this story is a confused young couple who thought that they knew how their lives were going to go and who found their plans completely upended. This is the story of a good man who wanted to do what was right. It's a story of God speaking through a dream. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, Joseph, because the child that she is carrying is conceived through the Holy Spirit, and this child will save his people from his, their sins. It's the story of ancient prophecy that is about to be fulfilled. I want to tell you this story, not read it. You've already heard it read directly out of the Bible. I want to tell you how you, in a way that might be like how you would tell a story around the dinner table or in front of a fire. As you listen to it, I want to invite you to listen for something that you already know and something that you need to be reminded of this Christmas. This is the Christmas story. It's the story of the birth of Jesus according to Matthew's gospel. And it starts with a young couple who are engaged and they knew the boundaries and they respected them. But despite that, Mary became pregnant. Not in the usual way. God's Holy Spirit came upon her. And that had never happened before. So how do you wrap your mind around something like that? Fortunately, Joseph, her fiance, was a good man. 
He loved her and didn't want to disgrace her. He wanted to do what was right, and he thought the best way that he could deal with this very difficult situation was to break the engagement quietly. It was in his rights to publicly disgrace her. He could have ruined her reputation for life, but he didn't want to do that. And so Joseph made a plan, but then Joseph had a dream. And the angel of the Lord was in the dream, and the angel had a message for Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Did Joseph wonder if the child Mary was carrying was the Messiah? Did he realize that he was being given a front row seat to the fulfillment of prophecy? Because Joseph was a righteous man. He knew the scriptures. He knew what the great prophet Isaiah had written, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Did he know that what was taking place in his family was the fulfillment of that scripture, scripture that he had heard rabbis read in synagogue. All Matthew tells us is that Joseph did what the angel told him. He didn't break the engagement. He took Mary as his wife, but he didn't claim his marital rights until the baby was born. The baby whom he named Jesus, just as the angel had told him to do. The truth that this story reminds me of, that I already know, but that I so quickly forget, is that I don't need to be afraid because God is working things out. I can trust the journey. Joseph didn't have to be afraid of taking Mary as his wife, even though their relationship looked hopeless. She was pregnant and he was not the father. I would have understood if he would have questioned the words of the angel because the Holy Spirit had never fathered a child before. And if you look right before this story, Matthew gives us a long, long family tree. It starts with Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and on and on and on. And look at the phrase that is repeated over and over again in this, the father of. A huge long list of Jesus's ancestors who were all born of natural descent. And the way children have always been born until Jesus. The first one who is born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus is not the natural descendant in Joseph's lineage. It does not say Joseph, the father of Jesus, right? It says Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus makes me wonder, was, was Joseph mocked by the other men in Nazareth? Was he accused of not being a real man who was able to stand up for his rights, his dignity, 
be the man of the house. But even more significantly, it makes me wonder, was Joseph heartbroken? Did his heart break because he realized that what he had dreamed of and planned for was not going to happen? He obediently took Mary as his wife, but notice the last verse in this passage. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Surely, that was not what Joseph had dreamed marriage would be like. And did his heart break for Mary, for all that she was facing? Don't be afraid, Joseph. God is working things out. Trust the journey. I forget that. Don't you? I get wrapped up in relationships that aren't working out the way that I expected they would or think that they should. I love Joseph's strength of character and compassion for Mary. He doesn't add to the stress that she must have already been experiencing being an unwed teenage girl who is about to become the mother of God's son. Joseph doesn't pull away from her. Instead, he draws closer. I know that often the most righteous thing that I can do in a relationship when it is stretched and challenged is not to pull away, but to come closer, to offer support, to walk alongside, to keep talking. But I forget that. This story reminds me that I don't have to be afraid when my relationships are breaking my heart because God is working things out. I can trust the journey. In some ways, when you think about it, it is just such a simple thing that Joseph does in this story. Joseph got married and Joseph named the baby Jesus. He assumed the role of husband and father. He did what so, so many men have done. He did what some of you are doing right now. He raised a family. He was an ordinary man. He wasn't rich. He wasn't powerful. He probably wasn't educated. He was from a small town. He didn't have any connections. And life wasn't easy for him. If you keep reading Matthew and you look ahead to chapter 2, you will see that this isn't the only dream that Joseph has. The angel came with another message, another message that was very disturbing. The angel said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so Joseph and Mary and a toddler became refugees. They flee their home in order to save their son's life. Don't be afraid, Joseph. God is working things out. Trust the journey. I don't think any of us are refugees. Few of us have ever had to flee our home to save our lives. And yet life isn't easy for most people today either. Maybe your heart breaks for people in Gaza and Israel and the Ukraine. 
Maybe your own struggles are breaking your heart and are feeling overwhelming. Maybe you feel stuck in the grind, trying to make a living, raise a family, make a difference. Maybe you wonder if anyone even sees what you are going through or what you are doing. Do the ordinary things that ordinary people like us do in ordinary places like Williamsport really matter? Don't be afraid. God is working things out. Trust the journey. This story is not a fairy tale. It's true. And I don't just mean that it's true and that it's factual, that it actually happened. It is true because it actually happened. But it's also true because it reminds us of what is always true and thus what is true in our lives as well. If we don't just read it, but instead let it get inside of us, this story helps us to remember what we already know, that life is hard and we don't have to be afraid because God sent Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Another quote that has just been running through my mind in the last few weeks is something that a Presbyterian pastor named Frederick Beekner said. I think it captures what is true in Matthew's version of this Christmas story. Beekner said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because Jesus is coming. That is how God is working things out. You can trust the journey. Amen.